John chapter 5, starting at verse 1, it says this. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda, with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men laying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool, for when the water bubbles up, someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told them, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry the sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well. So stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, and Lord, thank you for, for this, this story that's highlighted for us uh, that, that helps us to capture the fact that you pursue us, that you are after us. And that you, your way and following you is far greater uh, than any other way that we might go. So Lord, as we um, open up your word this morning and as we uh, stop and explore the things that are spoken there, um, Lord, would our hearts be open to you? And would we find ourselves again surrendering all that we are and all that we have to you, um, that we would give you our lives and that we would follow you well. So we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. When I first started going to church, one of the songs uh, that I absolutely fell in love with uh, had some simple lines uh, in it, and it were this, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, just give me Jesus. Right? This is just the lyrics of the song just capture my attention in this place of saying, uh, God, all, all that I want in this world, when it comes down to it, what my heart's desire is, is you. You're better. You're greater. You are what I want. I heard, heard someone reflect on it this way. They said, if I die and find that heaven is just in an abandoned building, but Jesus is there, that's enough. Um, Jesus is greater. And, and as we look at John chapter 5, we're going to see uh, a man who is without hope. He sees what he, what he wants, and he's really close in proximity, but it evades him day after day after day. But he finds Jesus is greater than the pool that he was by. And then you also see a group of people who have defined what rest and worship looks like. They're, uh, but by going with their interpretation, they overlook the healing that God is longing to do. And I think that is something that John is writing and saying, Jesus is greater than their interpretation as they looked at the Sabbath. Um, we, play, we play this 
this game uh, in our home where I've been trying to teach the boys to respond uh, to this question. I, I uh, in the middle of the day or at, around the dinner table, whatever it may look like, I always just, not always, but I'll stop and I'll just ask, hey, who's the best? And I'm trying to teach them to respond, mom, mom's the best. Um, just a way to, to celebrate their mom, to celebrate you know, our love and our affection for uh, her. But our oldest son, uh, a handful of year ago, years ago, um, in his very logical brain, um, one day decided to say, you know, that's just an opinion. Um, we don't have enough facts to say that mom really is the best. And um, so he's now his response has become when I ask, who's the best? Our youngest, Tiago, will say, mom, mom's the best. And our oldest, uh, Justice, will say, Jesus. Jesus is the best. <laughs> it even got to the point, I'm going to sh- bring it up on the screen here. I'm going to share it on the screen. Uh, two years ago, this was his uh, Mother's Day card uh, to Larissa. It said, Mom, you are almost the best. Um, why? Jesus, Jesus is greater. Uh, Jesus is greater. As followers of Christ, what, what it is is an ongoing uh, shaping of our heart to discover that we are learning to trust Jesus in every space of our lives and believe that his way is greater and that our hope needs to be placed in him, that everything else fails in comparison to Jesus. So here's here's the, the intro to the story is a man sitting beside a poolside. We're told that he has been sick for 38 years. And really, it's a story of a man who has no hope. As he sits along the poolside is that uh, commentators uh, believe that at some point there was this mythology that began uh, to get stirred up that that at this pool there would be an angel that would come and stir up the waters. And as these waters was stirred up, that the first people that would get into the pool would find healing. Uh, John, as he writes this story, isn't affirming the fact that those healings really were taking place, but it's to, it's to create this, uh, this understanding that the healing wasn't going to come from the pool. It was going to come from Jesus. But what you find shaped by John in this story is that the man confesses that he didn't really have any hope because there was no way that he could get to the pool before anyone else. And it was this really just, I would just say, messed up system and understanding that the people had here because those that were most in need of healing, those that really needed to get to the waters before anyone else, were the last that were actually able to get in to the water. And so what we find is that Jesus finds the man that is the farthest away, farthest able uh, from getting in to those waters. And for me, I think it's this, this, this proclamation, this declaration that the kingdom of God is for those who cannot help themselves. That God is for those who can't help 
themselves. That the kingdom of God, as we find in, in Matthew chapter 5, is for the mourning. It's for those that are weeping. It's for those that are crying out for justice. It's for those uh, that are longing for peace in their land, right? That, that as one of the songs that we sometimes sing is, is that it's for all the poor and powerless. It's for all the lost and the lonely. That the kingdom of God is for those who aren't able. It's for those who don't have enough power on their own to stand up and to walk and make it into the waters. The kingdom of God is for those that are struggling with addiction. The kingdom of God is for those that are dealing with anger issues. It's for the kingdom of God is for those that are broken. It's the kingdom of God for those that are, don't have enough power within themselves. The kingdom of God is for us. Right, So it's this declaration and it's this beautiful story that John tells us to say, who's the man that Jesus comes and finds? It's this man who's on the fringes of this structure that's set up where he can't make it into the waters on his own. And as I hear about this story, I also think about this man's words that are laid out for us. When Jesus asks him if he wants to be made well, his response is to say, I don't have anyone. I don't have anyone. And it's, it's almost like it's the, the, the Bible beautifully structured for us, right? Immediately think about the story of, of the four friends who carry the paralytic in front of Jesus. And while there was all this crowding in room and that paralytic couldn't get in front of Jesus, four friends carry him there. But here you also have this story of this man who can't get up. And for 38 years He's been dealing with this place of with being in a place without hope. And it's this place of saying, even when I don't have four friends that can carry me to the waters, Jesus can still find me and say, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. It's this place of, of saying when, when we don't have enough. It's like heaven breaks into a smile and say, friend, that's exactly how much you need. You don't need anything in order for Jesus to find you just as you are. And also in the story, we find this, this statement where it says that Jesus knew that it's been for 38 years that this man has been without healing. You find a story that describes that Jesus knows all about us. And it's actually something that you see in a theme that John has, right? Where he says that when he finds Nathaniel, he knew exact precisely where Nathaniel was. And it provoked and compelled, uh, propelled uh, Nathaniel to believe that Jesus was far greater uh, than just an ordinary man. That the Samaritan woman, her declaration to, to her townspeople and to, to her community was to say, come and hear from a man man who knows everything about me, that Jesus knows all about us. And then here you find this man where Jesus had this, this insight, this knowledge. He already knew everything about this man's life. And, and when you find these, these statements about Jesus knowing about, about us and coming and exploring our history uh, with us, I don't know about you, but there's, there's times where I feel uh, a sense and, and, and a, a prompting from, from the Holy Spirit to visit something about me. Maybe it's a way that I've been acting. Maybe it's uh, a history uh, uh, visiting, you know, just 
sins and uh, attitudes that have pervaded or been so pervasive over the course of my life and the course of my family's life that that when Jesus comes and and uh, stirs that within me, sometimes I want to run, sometimes I want to hide from from Jesus exploring those. But what I see. When, when Jesus shows up and begins to explore our history, it's actually a place where I believe that he's wanting to cause anticipation in our heart for the healing that he longs to do. So Jesus doesn't bring up our history so that we would be positioned in a place of shame and condemnation. But Jesus visits our history so that we might be filled with anticipation for the healing that he's longing to do in our lives. Right? Jesus knew about this man, and he shows up and asks, Do you want to be made well? The man's response to that question was to say, I, I don't see how that's going to happen. And there's something of our Lord's question that causes this man to, to explore his heart and to what he's longing for. And he begins to confess about how he sees things are going to go forward. What what I need is for friends to be able to carry me into the pool, that the solution to my problem is that pool. And what you find later on is that the guy didn't have any awareness of who Jesus was, that, that he didn't know him. He, he, and so what's presented is the man's just stating that seems to be the most logical solution. That, that if I'm going to have any hope of being made well, like you're asking me, Jesus, then I've got to make it into those waters. And in order for me to make it into those waters, I have to have someone carry me because I don't have enough within myself to get there. And, and, and so Jesus' response to that is, is to give him a command. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And, and by doing so, Jesus is pointing this man to the fact that the pool won't be his hope. That his hope won't be about people being able to carry him even. But his hope needs to reside in the fact that healing is going to come from Jesus. And so Jesus becomes greater. And so like so many other times, maybe in our own lives, we can relate to the fact that, that the solution that I was hoping and I was pointing God to, right? I had my own solutions. I had my own ability to say, hey, God, if you uh, could see the solution that I'm seeing, can you just get me there? That Jesus so often points us to a place where we would rely on him. And that our hope would reside in him so that our lives would continue to have this understanding and surrendering uh, to, to Jesus. To say, God, you are our hope. You are the one that I put my hope in. You are the one that I put my trust into. That healing, however you're going to do it, still needs to come through you. Because Jesus, you're greater Who's the best? It's Jesus. But let's look at that command that's given. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. What I love about this command is that as you stare at it, as you look at the tense of the words that Jesus uses, the words, the command, pick up your mat, is a one-and-done command. Pick up your mat. 
but then the other two stand up or rise up and walk have this ongoing command to them. It's something that this man is is now Jesus is telling him that is going to be filled with the rest of his life. And it's this beautiful command that understands that which you are healed from, like it's it's done, it's dealt with. That mat will no longer have a factor in your life. But the rising up and the constant walking, that will fill your life. And so I pair that and I think about that when Jesus finds the man in the temple. By the way, which is a a, a, a absolutely stunning miracle because at the start of John chapter 5 John points us to the fact that there was a holy festival that was happening so the the temple would have been buzzing I mean it would have been filled and filled with sojourners who have came into Jerusalem and somehow Jesus is able to find the needle in the haystack right and it's just the statement that says that even amongst the mass of humanity Jesus knows precisely where we're at that's the tangent, but coming over to this place of saying he finds this man and he tells him, stop sinning. And, and I think about, one, Jesus' command. Rise up and walk, right? It's this ongoing command that, that we would, our lives would constantly be filled in this place where we are being refined, uh, where we are being renewed, where we are being made new, uh, by, by the work of Jesus in our lives. And so we are constantly meant to walk with him as he does that work of raising us up. But I also think that the, the setting that this conversation is having in is a really big deal because what's the setting? It's the, it's the temple, right? And so now here's the man in the temple, uh, very likely bringing his offerings um, here in the temple during this feast that's taking place. And so the setting here, I believe that what John is doing is causing us to realize, again, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. That he is the temple, uh, that, that right? What he points out in earlier in John chapter 2, tear down this temple and I tell you that in three days I will raise it up again. It's this place where, where we recognize that it will be through Jesus's work that a greater healing uh, and, and a deliverance from sin is going to take place. Jesus is better. So the last place I'll, I'll take us is, is this recognition that the story isn't just around Jesus and the lame man, uh, but there's another party that's a part of the story. Uh, you'll find that as John writes the story, he says uh, he sets it up by having this, this healing uh, take place, and then he stops and he says, but this happened on the Sabbath. And immediately, uh, as readers, we, we're, we're meant to stop and, and, and to really zero in on why in the world uh, would Jesus do this on the Sabbath? Because if the man has been uh, lame for, th- for 38 years, certainly he could have waited one more day uh, to be made uh, whole and healed. Uh, but Jesus intentionally heals on the Sabbath. And so we're told that after the man is made healed, that, that the, he comes across the Jewish uh, leaders. And as he does, they want to know, like, why in the world are you carrying your mat? And his response, his line is like one of the, the best lines in, in uh, the book of John. He just says, the man who healed me, <laughs> the, the man who healed me told me to carry my mat. 
And, and so by doing so, what John is doing is he's highlighting the fact that who's the one that really has authority to speak to uh, what is meant by the Sabbath. And certainly, it's the man who healed the lame man. The man, Jesus, is, has the authority to be able to speak to how the Sabbath is meant to be looked at and lived out by God's people. And, and so what ends up happening is, is uh, the Jewish leaders become uh, enraged by Jesus. Like, why in the world would he tell you to carry the mat? And in doing so, like, they completely overlooked the fact that this man who has been made healed, who is now in this posture of rest, is like the perfect embodiment of what the Sabbath is all about. And because they are so bogged down by their interpretation, they cannot step into this place of celebration that the fact that that this man is carrying this mat and walking, that mat wasn't a burden for him. If anything, that mat became a symbol of God's healing, his rest, and the man's freedom, right? This work that Jesus has done in this man's life. A healed man is the embodiment of the Sabbath. And so John, I believe what he's pointing us to is the fact that Jesus will be the source of our rest. And in him, Sabbath, as the theologian Ben Wetherington would say, uh, is more superior and lasting. So Sabbath is a day where we pause from the chaos and the labor of our lives. And we say, in the morning, when I rise, give me Jesus. You can have all of this world, just give me Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. And it's so it's in him that we find really our Sabbath rest. And I think that as God's people, we keep that rhythm of Sabbath, but we recognize it is a day marked by this understanding and where God's people uh, seek to live out what it would look like for the kingdom of God to be fully present here on earth. A day where we are able to stop and to rest in the fact that Jesus finds us and he's at work in our lives, and we can trust in him, and we can trust that he is uh, working in, through, and around our lives. Loved ones, Jesus is greater. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, uh, right now, we turn to you, and I just pray, may as we May we as a people find rest in you. Would you come and, and create an expectation and anticipation in our hearts that you desire to visit us, not to stir up shame, not to stir up condemnation, but what would arise in our hearts is this anticipation that you desire to do a good work in our lives. And so, Jesus, we, we turn to you. We say you are our hope. You are the one we rely on. You are the one that we seek to follow 
uh, in every space of our lives. Um, so Jesus, would you come and would you bring your people rest and calm uh, and healing and health uh, right here, right now in this moment. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.